We are in Judges chapter 10. Um, if you haven't been with us, we've been in this series called A Kingless Kingdom. And the whole idea behind this series is what happens when a country, when a nation, when a people turn away from God, when they look at God and they say, I know you're supposed to be king, but I would rather me be king. I would rather me be in charge. And for every single one of us, we have something to learn in this study, in this book, because we all make that decision. We constantly say, God, I want to be in charge of my own life. God, I want to make the rules. I don't want you to tell me what to do. I want to do that. So we're in chapter 10, and when we last left off in chapter 9, we studied a guy named Abimelech, who was an evil king. He was the son of Gideon, and he tried to make himself king. He tried to say, I know God has said that he is supposed to be king, that Yahweh is supposed to be king, but I want to take control. So Abimelech kills 70 of his brothers, murders them in cold blood, and then he goes around starting wars. And he goes around trying to make himself into the king, but what ends up happening, some random lady in the middle of a battle drops a giant rock on his head, and now he's dead. And that's the end of his story. He tried to be king, but it didn't work out for him. So now we pick up in chapter 10 to see what the author of Judges records for us next. So turn with me to chapter 10, verse 1, and we're going to read to verse 2. After Abimelech, there arose to save Israel Tola, the son of Pur, the son of Doda, a man of Issachar. And he dwelt in Shema, in the mountains of Ephraim. He judged Israel twenty-three years, and he died and was buried in Shema. The book of Judges is really interesting because you go through it and There'll be characters like Ehud or Abimelech where it's like, we're going to tell you this epic story about this guy's life. And then they get to a guy like, what's this guy's name? Tola. And it's literally just like, yeah, here was Tola. He lived and he died. Yay. Um, he comes from a family of really bad names. He's the son of Pua, who's the son of Dodo. So, I mean, Tola is probably the best name in that group. It's really all I have to say about that. Um, here's the interesting thing, though. So it says that um, Abimelech, after him, there arose Tola. So this is the guy that God picks to clean up Abimelech's mess. And it says that he saves Israel. Now, in the book of Judges, constantly we're seeing Israel being attacked by wicked nations. But who was he raised up to save Israel from? What evil nation? Do you guys know? Who was the evil nation attacking Israel at the time? No, it was the, Germany. No, <laughs> they weren't around yet. No, actually, it was Israel itself. See, Abimelech, the king, when he rose up, he was from Israel. And so now it's not even other nations attacking Israel. They're a threat to themselves. And that's a reminder to me that I can be a threat to myself. We can be a threat to ourselves. And God raised up Jesus to save us from ourselves. Let's, let's continue to go on to verse 3 through 5. After him arose Jair, a Gileadite, and he judged Israel 22 years. Now he had 30 sons who rode on 30 donkeys. They also had 30 towns which are called havath Jair to this day, which are in the land of Gilead. And Jair died and was buried in Cana. 
So this guy doesn't have much said about him either. We learned that he has 30 sons who rode on 30 donkeys, which made, makes sense. It'd be weird if 30 sons rode on 50 donkeys. Um, and Tola and Jer, these two guys we see at the beginning of the chapter, these little snippets of stories that we see, they're apparently good judges. The Bible doesn't have anything bad to say about these guys. And it's interesting. The book of Judges tends to skip over the bad judges and are to skip over the good judges and highlight the bad judges. And that's why we need to understand when we read the book of Judges, it's not a rule book. It's not a book that shows us how to do good. Oftentimes the book of Judges is a book that shows us how not to do good. It's not a book where we read it and go, oh, I'm going to follow all these guys' examples. A lot of these guys have moments where they do good things, but a lot of times the book is just showing us this is what happens when people try to follow God, but they do it in their own strength. This is a book that shows us people who were called to follow God, and yet they then chose to let themselves rule and the destruction that comes. And so the book of Judges, even if you want to ever study it for your own devotions, it is a great book to show you just what can happen if people like us, the children of God, the disciples of Jesus, who've been called to follow if we get our eyes off of Jesus and then we try to do everything on our own strength, it'll only lead to destruction. So now we're going to see the Israelites again back into the cycle of sin. So, so all throughout this book, we see the sin cycle is what it's called. So here's how it starts. The sin cycle starts with Israel worshiping idols. They look at other gods and they bow down to them. But then what happens, the second stage of the sin cycle is the evil nations that those idols are all about, they come and they invade Israel. They take them over. So then the third stage is now that Israel is being attacked by these other countries, they freak out and they go, God, we were wrong. We're sorry. We repent. So then the fourth stage is God raises up a judge and the judge comes and fights the bad guys and drives them out and frees Israel and they're rejoicing. And, and so the, the fifth stage is Israel has a time of peace and, and they're like, yes, God is our king. Yahweh is our savior. But that fifth stage does not often last that long because usually while they're in that peaceful spot, they look over and they see the idols and the sin and they go, oh yeah, idols. I remember those. Those were cool. Let's worship those. And the whole cycle starts over again. So we're about to see Israel getting wrapped up into that cycle right now. Let's go to verse six. Then the children of Israel again did evil in the sight of the Lord and served the Baals and the Ashtoreths, the gods of Syria, the gods of Sidon, the gods of Moab, the gods of the people of Ammon, and the gods of the Philistines. And they forsook the Lord and did not serve him. So the anger of the Lord was hot against Israel, and he sold them into the hands of the Philistines and into the hands of the people of Ammon, from that year, they harassed and oppressed the children of Israel for 18 years. All the children of Israel who were on the other side of the Jordan in the land of the Amorites in Gilead. So this right here is a really familiar pattern. The Israelites start serving false gods, and because they serve those false gods, bam, they end up in slavery. But here, the author of the book of Judges kind of gives us a twist, because the Israelites cry out for deliverance, 
not to Yahweh, our God, but they cry out to the very gods who like, put them in slavery in the first place. So you've got these wicked gods, these idols that are enslaving them. It'd be basically like if someone locked you in a jail cell and you're like, hey, can you free me? I, I think you have the power to free me. And the guy's like, no, I put you in the jail cell. That's what's going on. So they're crying out to the Ammonite gods. The Ammonites are the ones who enslave them and they're crying out to these Ammonite gods to save them, gods that don't even exist. Like the Bible says, they're just made of wooden stone. So here is what we're being taught. It's not just that idolatry leads us to enslavement. Enslavement actually leads you to more idolatry. Listen, when sin enslaves you, you often try to deliver yourself by going harder after the very thing that enslaved you in the first place. I've seen this so many times. I've seen young people your age get caught up in drugs, and and, and that drugs, it seems like the drugs are going to make you feel better, but oftentimes it leads to more and more depression, which then makes you think, man, I feel really messed up now. I need more drugs to get me out of this situation. That's really how it is with any sin. We get sucked into a bad relationship, and we think, oh man, this is going to make me so happy, and then it doesn't, so we think, well, I just need another bad relationship. We don't say bad relationship, but that's what it is. Um, We constantly are trying to fill the hole in our heart with stuff that doesn't actually fit the shape, and it's only a relationship with Jesus that can fit that. That's what Israel is doing. Now, now listen, you might be saying, you know, to me, as I'm telling you guys about these people in slavery, you might be like, well, what does this have to do with me? I don't worship any idols. Like, I'm not in my backyard sacrificing cats. If anyone is in their backyard sacrificing cats, don't tell me. I'll call the cops on you. Um, but um, you might be like, you know, I'm not, you know, sacrificing to idols. I don't worship idols. And I'm, I'm not anything slave. Like, nothing has a hold on me. Well, listen, this is a really important thing to consider because an idol in the Bible is not just a statue to which you bow down to. An idol is whatever you turn to for power and joy and significance apart from Jesus. For example, some people think if I have success, then I'll have power and security and safety and joy. Other people think, you know, if I achieve some sort of academic recognition, if I just make it to the top of the school list, if I become the valedictorian, then I will have fulfillment. Some people think because I have a talent or gift like my intelligence or money or or beauty, or maybe it's being athletically fit and able, you might think this is what gives me identity and power and joy and significance. And listen, those things are all fine in themselves, of course, but when you look to those things instead of to God for your fulfillment, those things actually become what enslave you. What do I mean by that? Well, Being enslaved by those things means that you feel like you can never be happy until you have what you want, and so you'll do anything to get it. That's what it means to be enslaved. And you obsess over it, and you obsess over what you don't have, and it's always like, I want more, I want more, I want more. And when and if you do get it, you never feel like you have enough, or you're always worried about losing it. And so you make really destructive choices to hang on to it or get more of it, You think, I need more money, so I'll work until I destroy my life, or I'll cheat, or or I need a satisfying relationship, so I'll leave this family to find another, or or maybe you might be thinking, I have to be beautiful to have power and significance and joy, so I'll starve my body to reach a certain size and hate myself when I'm not there, or I'll post pictures of myself on Instagram that are really demeaning, but I want attention from other people, so I'll wear this and pose this way to get that attention from other people. Listen, 
William James, the postmodern philosopher, says this, success is such a horrible goddess. No matter what you give her, she always demands more. And this is so true, my friends. Seriously, young, high school, freshman, sophomore, junior, senior, you're chasing something here today. You're after something here today. No matter how much of a Christian you are, I know because I am in the same place as you. Our flesh is constantly looking and saying, the grass is green on the other side and so we're constantly chasing things we're like dogs chasing our own tails or chasing after cars it it never works out listen have you ever stopped to consider yourself maybe the idol itself is wrong the thing that you're chasing have you ever stopped to consider maybe it's wrong maybe you have chosen the wrong thing in which to find power or joy or significance maybe the reason you're unhappy in love isn't because you haven't found Mr. Right, but because ultimate happiness wasn't found in him or her anyway. You know what I'm saying? That was me when I was your age. I so wanted a relationship. And there was a couple girls in my school I had crushes on. It was just like, I, this has to happen. I've got to talk to her. I've got to introduce myself. If I miss this window, then I'll, I'll die single. Like I had that kind of mentality. And really God had the most amazing woman in the world in store for me. And he was like, Aaron, if you just would have spent junior high and high school focused on me and not even caring about those girls, you wouldn't have wasted so much time. And I'm very blessed that I never dated anybody. I'm glad that none of those girls wanted anything to do with me because if they did, I would have been in a bunch of failed relationships because God wasn't in it. But God had my wife. Like when I turned up at Bible college, I was at a point in my life where I was just like, God, I want to give away all those idols of constantly every time I talk to a girl being like, is this my future wife? I need to be my best behavior. Does my hair look good? Does my face look good? Like that's how I treated every conversation with a female. Uh, God, I'm sure you can relate. Like, you know, you're going to camp and you're like, I've got to make sure I don't look stupid. That's what I thought all the time. And really God had this perfect situation waiting for me if I would have just trusted him. But instead I focused on idols, the idol of looking after what I thought I wanted. Guys, no matter what your idol is, I think the book of Jeremiah has some really interesting stuff to say to us about idols. Let's go to Jeremiah 2 verse 13. I'm going to throw it up on the screen. So this is the prophet Jeremiah, and he's speaking for God. God is speaking through him. And this is in the future, okay? This is after the book of Judges. Guess what? The book of Judges goes by, and Israel does not get that much better. So they continue to turn to idolatry. Hundreds of years later, Israel is following in the same cycle that won't be broken until Jesus shows up, honestly. So Jeremiah 2.13, the prophet Jeremiah says... This is, he's speaking for God. For my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and they've hewed out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that can hold no water. Guys, this is the clearest depiction of sin in the Bible, one of them, because sin is twofold. It's rejecting God and replacing God. Here's what he's saying. He's saying, there was a well of water for you, and it was available constantly. You could go to it anytime, and you could get water from that well, but you rejected that well, and you left and went somewhere else, and you tried to dig your own well, but you messed up, and you didn't dig it right, and now it's broken, and no water will come from that well. That's a picture of sin right there. God says to us, I've dug out this well for you of life where you can come to me and be filled with my spirit and my joy and my heart, but you went and you dug your own well with sin. You tried to get what you wanted and you didn't realize that after all the work of digging, it doesn't actually give you what you want at all. 
Let's continue on to verse 9, and we're going to see how the spiral continues. Verse 9. Let's see what happens to Israel next. Moreover, the people of Ammon crossed over the Jordan to fight against Judah also, against Benjamin, and against the house of Ephraim, so that Israel was severely distressed. And the children of Israel cried out to the Lord, We have sinned against you, because we have both forsaken our God and served the Baals. So the Lord said to the children of Israel, Did I not deliver you from the Egyptians, and from the Amorites, and from the people of Ammon, and from the Philistines? Also the Sidonians, and Amalekites, and Maonites oppressed you. And you cried out to me, and I delivered you from their hand. Yet you have forsaken me and served other gods. Therefore, I will deliver you no more. Go and cry out to the gods which you have chosen. Let them deliver you in your time of distress. So this is very interesting, okay? So Israel goes to false gods. They're in trouble. They go to the false gods, and they're like, false gods, save us. And the false gods are just like wooden stone statues. So they're just like, Meh. Like, they don't do anything. They're just like, Meh. So they're like, this isn't working. Praying to these statues is doing nothing. So then they go back to God. They crawl back to him, and they're begging him for mercy. They're like, we tried everything else. Yahweh, God, you're the only one who can save us. We're so sorry. We sinned. And God's response is like, <laughs> he's like, are coming back to me? Go back to those idols you were praying to. I'm not going to help you. What, what do I look like? A genie in the bottle who's just going to get you out of your trouble? That's what he says. It's super interesting. Now, now, this is the first time in the book of Judges where God says no to people asking him for help. That's Why would God do that? Like, does that freak you out a little bit? Like, does that freak you out to think that you could go to God and he'd be like, Psh, what are you coming to me for? Like, go back to your sin. Like, you're, you messed up. This is interesting. It's kind of scary a little bit when you think about it. Well, listen, it's one thing for like a prodigal son to come back home like begging for repentance, like somebody who's messed up and they know it and their heart is broken. They're like, I failed, like I just blew it. I, and they know that they're wrong and they come back to God with a humble heart saying, God, I messed up please take me back. That's the heart that God loves. That's the heart that God the Father, he's so willing to receive. Someone who's humble and admits their mistake. But like, imagine this. Imagine a wife who was constantly unfaithful to her husband. Like a wife who was always cheating on her husband, just constantly, like every week. And then when her money runs out, she comes back to her husband and says, oh, I'm so sorry. But really she doesn't love him. She just wants the money. God looks at the heart of Israel and he sees their heart. This is not genuine sorrow. This is not someone who's genuinely sorry about what they've done. This is Israel who they're just literally going down the list of gods and they're like, okay, we asked Baal, we asked Ashtoreth, we asked, you know, uh, the Egyptian gods, we went through all the lists. Who's left on the list? Yahweh. I guess it can't hurt to ask him. That's really where they're at. Like, like it's just like Yahweh is their last chance, their last straw. These people don't want God for God. They are just in pain and want somebody, anybody to make it stop. 
There has been no change of heart towards God. This is, hey, God, let me use you to get me out of my troubles. God, or guys, listen, we need to remember, God is not the only, or God is not merely an option, okay? God is the way. That's what Jesus says. I am the way, not a way. Like, not like if you're going through your life and then you get in a jam, like, oh, I guess I'll try Jesus this week. And then like your life gets back on track and you're like, okay, back to sin. That's not the life Jesus has called you to live. He has called you to leave the old way, get off the old path and follow him. And so often we miss Jesus because we're so focused on just our problems. Like for instance, like for example, me, I have an issue. I love ice cream so much. Chocolate chip cookie dough ice cream is just my jam. It is my favorite. Anyone else? Is that your favorite flavor? Anybody? Yeah, Leif. Yeah, so good, everybody. Okay. Oh, yeah, thank you. Brad. Yeah, you too. Oh, okay. We'll all go out after church and get ice cream. No one else, just the cookie dough people. Just kidding. That would be very mean. Um, we're not all going. I can't afford to pay ice cream for all of you. Anyway, <laughs> if I could, I would, but I'm not a millionaire. I love ice cream, though. And one day I went to Rite Aid to buy ice cream. So I got a cup of cookie dough ice cream and I'm walking and I'm eating it and I'm just like so excited about this ice cream. And then like these three guys came up and they looked sketchy. Like they looked like gangsters. They looked like they were like mad at me. They were like looking at me like this like, and like they're walking and like snapping their fingers. No, I'm just kidding. They didn't really do that. Like one guy had like a knife and he was just like, <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. But they, they looked sketchy. It was like late at night and like these three guys together and they, they just looked like they were up to no good. So they're walking towards me and this is what my brain said. My brain was not like, oh man, I'm scared of these guys because they might jump me. My first thought was, oh no, if they jump me, I'm going to drop my ice cream and I won't be able to finish it. Like that's, I cared more about my ice cream than the consequences of like getting jumped, getting robbed or losing my life. And that is exactly a picture of us. So many times we are in sin and our sin is like our bowl of cookie dough ice cream. And we don't see the consequences of our sin coming. We don't realize that that sin is sending stuff in our life that's going to ruin it. Stuff that's going to throw us out of relationship with God. Stuff that's going to mess up our relationship with God and our family and parents. Stuff that's going to lead us into darkness. And we're just like, oh no, I don't want to lose my sin. If that consequence, if I get caught by my parents, I'm going to have to stop doing what I'm doing. That's what we're thinking of. Not what it's going to do to our heart and soul only about losing what we love. And that is truly sad. Guys, it's, it's possible for us to come to God in an idolatrous way to treat God just like we treat the idols in our life, not as the way, but as just a solution temporarily to a problem. Listen, are you using God? Christian, Christian students, okay? High school students who go to church, Okay, I don't know where you're all at in your personal relationship with Jesus. Let me ask you, are you using God or are you worshiping God? What happens when you get in a jam? Do you get scared and you call out to God and then the danger passes and then it's right back to the sin? Do people look at you and say like, oh man, what happened to their faith? Like just the other day, they were like talking about Jesus and like praying and now they're right back to their sin. If that's us, I mean, our faith isn't really real. Like that's the reality. It's like we only reach out to God when we need something, but faith in Christ is actually taking the step to follow him on the path. 
when we do this, we're not worshiping God. We're using God like the unfaithful wife who uses her husband's security so then she can go seek other people to fall in love with. We don't want to be in that place. Let's finish the chapter and let's see how Israel responds. So remember, Israel came to God half-hearted, right? They come to God and they're like, God, like, hey, buddy, it's been a long time. Like, maybe we could hang out. Like, I don't know. We, we sinned, God. Like, can you take us back? And God's response is like, I can see right straight to your heart. Don't, I don't want anything to do with you guys if you're going to come to me like that. If you're going to come to me and be like, hey, man, like, what's up, God, and not actually be repentant, then get out of here. So now let's see how Israel responds. This is how they respond to God calling them out on their nonsense. Verse 15. We have sinned. Do to us whatever seems best to you. Only deliver us this day, we pray. So they put away the foreign gods from among them and served the Lord. And his soul could no longer endure the misery of Israel. You see the difference? They come to him a second time, and they're like, okay, we blew it, we messed up, and we're not just going to say it with our words, we're going to prove it with our actions. We're going to get rid of those idols. See the difference? It's not just them coming and saying, oh yeah, God, I guess I messed up, now you got to help me out. It's them saying, okay, God, we get it, we blew it, and to prove to you that we're sorry, that we truly want to follow you, we are going to get rid of those idols and follow you. They get it. It's such a difference. Look, if you have your Bibles open, look at the difference between verse 15 and verse 10, okay? Verse 15 is up on the screen, but go back to verse 10 if you have your Bibles open. What do they say in verse 10? In verse 10, they say, God, we want peace from you. They're like, God, we want peace from you. They're trying to take something from God. You see? They come to him and they're like, God, you're the one who can give peace. We don't have peace. Give us some peace. That's what they're saying. We want peace from you. Give us that peace. So what's the difference between that and verse 15? Well, in verse 15, they say, basically, God, we've sinned. Do whatever seems best to you. They're saying, God, not we want peace from you. We want peace with you. See, that's the difference. Their heart is they come to God and they say, God, even if you have to punish us, even if you have to take things away from us that we love, even if you have to correct us, God, we need it. We need it. Like, guys, you need to know that God does not want to cause you pain. He does not want to cause you pain. And yet he does. Now stay with me. Check this out, okay? Listen, listen. If you have a kid, none of you guys have kids, but if you have a kid, do you want them to have pain? Do you want to cause them pain? No. If you're a good dad or mom, no, you don't want to cause your kid pain. But if your kid is sick and they need a shot of medicine from the doctor, do you want to cause your kid pain? Yeah. Because you want that kid to go to the doctor and you want to cause them the pain of a shot. Doesn't that make sense? Now, do you want your kid to have pain all the time? No, that's why they're giving the shot. They get that shot of medicine. How many of you guys love shots? Anybody just like love shots? Don't put your hand up if you do, because that's weird and we'll judge you. Um, you're like, I love shots. Like, that's, that's weird. Um, yeah, so shots are gnarly. I hate them. I hate having that syringe in me and someone pushing that stuff into me. I can feel it like going into my veins and like, it's just like, ugh. I hate that. It's so nasty. But 
And like, I remember when my parents would give me like a shot when they go to the doctor, I remember I'd be screaming the entire time on the way to the doctors, just like, why are you doing this to me? And then like, I'd go to the doctors and they'd put that shot in. The doctor would, I'd look at my dad just with like, you're dead to me. You're dead. You're dead. You're dead, dad. Like, that's what I, that's what I thought. I was just like, oh, how could you do this? And yet the reason my dad wanted me to suffer that pain was because he loved me. And by getting that shot, I would no longer suffer the long-term consequences of the sickness. God actually wants to bring the pain of punishment into our life at times because it sets us on the right course, because it's the medicine that we need. And guys, I mean, all of us want to be spared from that. And sometimes God is gracious and he doesn't give us what we deserve. He doesn't give us the punishment. And that's one of the blessings of being a Christian. But listen, if you're here today and you're running from God and you choose to continue to reject him, you, you choose to continue to say no to God and yes to your own desire. Listen, God is coming after you. He wants to set you straight. But listen. Listen, so many times we think of God, like we, how many of you guys, don't raise your hand, but just think, how many times have you ever felt like God was coming after you? Like you were in sin and all of a sudden it's like every single person that you know who follows Jesus is just like, hey, I've been praying for you. Hey, I love you, man. We should get coffee. We should hang out. You're just like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, oh, I'm sorry. I didn't see your text to like go like read our Bibles. Like I missed your text. Like I, that's happened to me so many times. Like people who are struggling and I'm trying to like text them. They're just like, oh, I never got your text. And it's like, I, I saw that you read it. Like, you know how the iPhone gives you a little read receipt. It's like, I know that you read my text. It happens all the time. Like people are running and cause they don't want to face their sin. They don't want to face the consequences consequences. And we think of it as like, when we feel like God's chasing after us, it's like sirens, like police sirens, like the cops are coming to get you. That's how we think of God. But listen, those sirens are not police sirens. It's an ambulance siren because the doctor knows that you're sick and he's coming after you to heal you. He needs to give you the medicine that hurts, but in the end it heals. And when we come to God and we finally say, okay, I know I need the medicine. Give me the medicine. Even if I have to be punished by my parents or by you specifically, God, I'm willing because I want to grow and I want to walk with Jesus and it's worth it to me to stay away from sin. Guys, that's true repentance. I don't care if life gets easy or hard, Lord, I just want you. Some people talk about, you know, if you come to Jesus, your life gets so easy. That's what people say. You come to Jesus, your life gets so easy. Your, your relationship with your parents turns awesome. Your boss gives you a raise. Your grades, you, you know, you don't study for the test and you get an A plus every time because you follow Jesus. Like, has that ever worked out for any of you guys? Like, you're like, oh, I'm a Christian. Like, I don't study for anything and I get A pluses. If that's you, you're just naturally smart. Like, don't blame that on Jesus. Um, but listen, that's not how it worked for me, okay? I followed Jesus in high school. I still got bad grades sometimes. If I messed up, I still got punished. If I talked out of turn in class, I still got detention. We have to face the consequences of our sin. Listen, it's not how it works. Following Jesus doesn't make your life perfect. Following Jesus puts your life in contact with the perfect one. That's the difference. Life isn't going to be perfect until you get to heaven. But if you follow Jesus now, you will be in constant contact with the one who loves you. And he will give your life purpose. He will give your life direction. He will give your life just vision. He will help you see your purpose, what God made you for, how you as a freshman in high school can serve God and glorify his kingdom, not when you're graduated in college, but right now. 
There's nothing more fulfilling than loving and serving God and others. And when you finally realize that, when you finally repent from living a life where you're just trying to serve yourself and instead you're serving him, that's when everything falls together. And in the Bible, God often let people go through trouble as they're coming back to him to see if they really want him for himself or are just trying to use him. So Israel genuinely repents. And you know what it says? I love this verse. Look at verse 16. And his soul could no longer endure the misery of Israel. I love that. God becomes impatient with the suffering of his people. Like, God loves us so much that when we hurt, he hurts with us. Do you understand that? Like, God is not an I told you so God. He is not somebody where where you're suffering. He's like, I told you that would happen. I told you. Like, (laughs) Like, you deserve it. No, listen, when you are suffering and when you are in sin, listen, whether you're suffering because of your sin or whether you've repented and now you're suffering because of the consequences of your sin, no matter what side of the attitude or heart you're on, God looks at you and his heart breaks. Some of you guys right now are suffering because of sin. Maybe it's something that you've done. Maybe it's something that's been done to you. Maybe it's something happening in your life right now. You need to know God loves you so much that his heart breaks for you. The things that you're struggling with, the insecurities, the doubts, the fears, the trials, the family drama, God looks at you and he's like, I know what you're going through and I love you because of it and I'm there for you and I'm calling out to you and I just want you to know that I'm here for you and I want you to follow me because in following me, you will receive strength for what you're going through. You will receive hope for what you're going through. You'll be delivered. Guys, we would spare ourselves and God so much grief if we would just follow him with our whole hearts. So listen, I'll close with this. The life of a half-hearted, half-committed, and worldly-minded Christian has to be the most miserable life that anyone can live because you're experiencing the worst of both worlds. On the sinful side, you can't enjoy your sin because God's spirit keeps you under conviction. You ever been there where you're like sinning and you can't even enjoy it because you're convicted because you know it's wrong? And you feel terrible because you're failing so badly. And on the other side of righteousness, you never feel saved because you're living in defeat. Listen. There's so many of you guys here today who may have struggled with this. You're saved. You gave your life to Jesus, but you don't feel saved because you're constantly sinning. So you're just like, am I, am I, do I have salvation? I used to worry about that all the time. Am I really saved? Like, am I going to hell because I sinned last night? And like, I don't know. And I'm at church. So am I saved now? But then if I sin tomorrow, listen, the Bible talks about the concept of the old man. So the old man is like your flesh. Okay. So you ha- that's who you are before you meet Jesus. And some of you guys are like, I met Jesus in the hospital when I was born. <laughs> like, I'm a Christian kid in a Christian family. That was me too. Like, I came out, the doctor slapped me, and I was like, hallelujah, praise the Lord. And I've been a Christian ever since. Like, maybe a lot of you guys are in that boat. But listen, if you're like me, the, basically what the old man represents for you, if you've been born, raised, or Christian, the old man is who you would have been without Jesus, right? It's your flesh. It's everything that if you've left Jesus and you decide to go your own way, it's who you would become. That's who the old, and the old man chases us. The old man or the old woman, it it wants to be a part of our life and we have to constantly cut it out. When it comes up, our flesh and those temptations and it says, hey, do this. Hey, get involved in this. We have to say, no, I'm going to die to my flesh. I'm going to die to myself. I'm going to follow Jesus. Because listen, if we give into that flesh 
We have a new life. We have a new body, mind, and soul because of Jesus. If you give in to that flesh and you're constantly letting that flesh do what it wants, it would be like literally going to a graveyard, digging up a dead body, slinging it over your shoulder, and walking around town with it. How many of you guys want to hang out with that guy who digs up a, a grave and puts that body on it? Anyone want to hang out with that dude? If Again, if you do, you're weird. Every time I've given you a chance to raise your hand today, it's a trap. You're weird if you raise your hand. Um, Listen, it's crazy that we let the flesh be a part of our life. When we do, we stink. Like, not like literally, but spiritually. Like, when we do, like, we're not only caught. Like, if, if you literally, think about it, if you had a dead body on your shoulder and you were walking around, would that affect your friends? Would they smell that? they would probably be vomiting. They would be like, this is so gross, I don't want to be around you. In the same way, when we carry around our flesh, it makes the Christians around us suffer. Because, I don't know about you, but when my friends who are Christians start sinning, it's attractive. Like, people that you like, people who are your friends, when they are starting messing around with the world, it makes you go, well, it's probably not so bad because they're doing it, and they go to church with me, and they're my Christian friends. I've been there. Like, when someone that you don't even care about is sinning, you're just like, oh, whatever. But when it's your friend, it's so easy to get sucked into that sin. Guys, for us, we need to be kind, not just to ourselves, but to the people around us. When we sin, we are dragging everyone around us back down to that old zombie grave way of life. If you carry a dead man around with you everywhere you go, not only would you be tired, but you wouldn't have many friends either. So maybe you're here and you've made the mistake. Maybe you've let sin into your life. Well, how do we fix it? Well, the problem is sin. So do we just stop sinning? Do you realize it's impossible to just stop sinning? You can't force that kind of revival. So what does God's word say? In Romans 12, 2, it says this, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. What that means is don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way that you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. Now, I know if you're like me, if you're human, you're a sinner, which means even though you're all here at church, let's be real. Some of you guys are constantly filling your minds with things that glorify sin. I see this all the time. Like, guys, I talked about this a couple weeks ago. Our generation, um, so I'm a millennial. I'm, like, one of the older millennials. Me and, me and Leif here are, like, the older spectrum of the millennials. You guys are, like, the last millennials. Some of you guys here, if I think if you're under, like, 14 or whatever, I think you've missed the cutoff. So, But we are this millennial generation. Our generation has probably the most access to media in the entire history of the world. We understand technology more than our parents. We we know, some of you guys need to admit it to yourself, like you know how to get to stuff on your phone that your parents have no idea how the heck you even got to and they would honestly never figure it out. You know how to do that. You know how to access things. And, and there's so much stuff, whether it's shows or music or just straight up nasty stuff out there. We know how to get to it and how to hide it. And the problem is when we're constantly filling our minds with things that glorify sin, whether it's movies or shows or music that we listen to, websites we visit, accounts we follow on Instagram or Snapchat, or even the conversations of certain friends, 
When we constantly have sin being pumped into our mind, is it any wonder how much we struggle with temptation and apathy towards Christ and our mission to be a disciple? If you're constantly filling your mind with the viewpoint of the world, that is how you will think. And you'll show up to church and you'll hear messages and you're like, that sounds great, but that's not really how I think. The Bible says we need to renew our mind. Let it be transformed. I'm not one of those guys who's like, you need to only listen to Christian music from the 70s because that's the only holy music. I'm not one of those guys. There's lots of great music out there like that. It's a great song. Listen to that. It's so beautiful. Oh, it stopped. So sad. Um, but you know what I mean? There's, there's lots of music. There's movies out there. Like if, if we were only supposed to watch Christian movies as Christians, like we would have like five movies to choose from. Like, so I'm not one of those legalistic guys who's like, you know, you can't do anything secular. Like I, I think art is great. But listen, there's some art out there. There's some music and there's some movies that you can't deny when you listen to those things and watch them. It stumbles your heart. It doesn't point you to Christ. It points you to the way the world thinks about love and sexuality. It, and substance abuse and friendship, it points you to that way of thinking that is not God's way. And you, as a responsible young person, because honestly, let's be honest, a lot of you guys, you're at the point now where your parents aren't going to control anything that you do anymore. They're not going to say, you can't listen to this, you can't do that. Like a lot of you guys are at that point where you're past that, you're basically your own person. So you have to make the choice yourself about what you're going to let into your mind. You have to decide what it is that you are going to welcome into your heart. I'm going to end with this quote. John Mark Comer, one of my favorite pastors, says this, even or every thought in your mind needs to be filtered. If you're going to survive this war, you need to be a domineering, controlling, micromanaging tyrant when it comes to your thought life. Any and all thoughts outside of God's word, you take captive, shut up, and expel. You give these thoughts no time, no mental real estate, no free pass. You throw these thoughts into prison. No better yet, you send them straight into solitary confinement. And when you're done, you throw away the keys. It's so good. Guys, there, there was this uh, theologian named Arthur Pink and basically, he, he preached this message once where he was like, listen, he was talking to a crowd, and he's like, you all want to be saved from hell. That's what you want. You want to be saved from hell. You want to have the get out of hell free card, the fire insurance, where you know that if you die, you're not going to burn in hell. And he says, that's your focus. You want to be saved on hell, but listen, you need to stop focusing that on that and realize that it's not hell that you need to be saved from. It's yourself. Yeah, yeah, like hell, absolutely. But more importantly, if you're here and you're like, oh yeah, I'm not going to hell, sweet, but then you just live the way that you want to live, you are missing the point of the gospel. It's not just hell you need to be saved from. It's your flesh and it's yourself. And I understand that. I need to be saved from who I am without Jesus. I need to be delivered from my flesh. So many today think they can love God and still live in their sin. But listen, it can't be done. You have to make a choice. It has to be God or your sin. You can't have both. You can't love both. You have to die to your sin in order to come alive to God. And so let's today just commit ourselves to God. Like these Israelites, let's come back to God. A lot of us here have been struggling with sin this week. Let's come to God and not just be like, oh yeah, it's church, I guess I better repent. Like come to God and let your heart break about your sin and realize that he's not a God who will smash you for your sin. He's a God with open arms who's like, hey, come back into my arms. I love you. Have you sinned? Okay, fine. Leave those weights behind and enter in to me. Enter in to my heart and my joy for you. Amen?
Amen. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you so much for these kids, these wonderful high school students. God, I pray that you would show them the way and the truth and the life. God, just like Israel, we mess up. We make mistakes, but so often we come back to you half-hearted. Sometimes we wait until camp, and it's the one time a year we get back with you. And then we just do what we want the whole rest of the year. God, I pray it wouldn't be so with this group of students. God, if we've sinned, help us to repent. Help us to come to you and say, God, I admit I was wrong. And not only am I just going to say that with my words, with my actions, I'm going to have you help me remove these idols from my life. God, so many times we don't get help because we don't ask for it. Help us to be humble enough to go to you and say, God, I need help. I can't get rid of these idols without your help. Help me, God, to remove these temptations that I give into, these sins, these trials, these things that I'm obsessed with in my life. Help me to give them over to you completely. God, I pray that we'd be a group that repents. And we do it, Lord, not out of fear that you're going to destroy us, but out of love and passion for you because we don't want anything to get in the way of our relationship with you, the relationship that you died for, Jesus, on the cross. We're so thankful for that, Lord. I pray that you'd speak to the hearts of these students as we get into small groups and discuss this message. And I pray that it would just be a time, Lord, where we grow in you. In your name, amen.